Please give my dad a warm welcome as he comes up to share the word with us today. Always surprises with David's. Always has been, so a lot of fun. So I, um, I'm not famous for liking cats. But that's a deception. I really like cats. I just got a, I just got a bad reputation for. Uh, I haven't had a bad, I haven't had good experiences with cats over the years. We've had about ten cats over the years. I know I've just lost about, ten, about fifty percent of you as friends, all female. But. Uh, we did have a cat recently called Frankie who liked me better than Brenda. There's hope. Um, here's a cat and dog photo that I think expresses why I like dogs better than cats. And here's... Oh, it's just hesitate to do this because I don't want to alienate you ladies further, but here we go. Now, this is not me suggesting this. It is someone else. How to wash a cat in nine simple steps. One, put both lids up on the toilet and add one-eighth cup of pet shampoo to the water in the toilet. I told you, there they go. Pick up the cat and soothe him while you carry him toward the bathroom. Nice kitty. And one smooth movement, put the cat in the toilet and close the lid. You may need to stand on the lid. At this point, the cat will self-agitate and make ample suds. Very practical way to wash the cat. Flush the toilet three or four times. This provides a power wash and rinse. (laughs) Have someone open the front door of your home and be sure that there are no people between the bathroom and the front door. (sighs) Looking for the frowners. There they are. Stand well back behind the toilet as far as you can and quickly lift the lid. Number eight. The cat will rock it out of the toilet, streak through the bathroom, and run outside where he will dry himself off. Number nine. Both the toilet and the cat will be sparkling clean. (laughs) Yours sincerely... The dog. And here's a, hap- here's a happy dog. Just a reminder, it wasn't me. It was just passing that on. Although I, I am tempted to try it. I want to talk with you this morning for a few minutes about God's p- passion through the gospeler of Mark. We mentioned a few weeks ago about an introduction about the four gospelers that these 
guys, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, weren't just called to dictate some information passively and without personal, personal vigor and personal enthusiasm, but that God designed their personalities and their experience of Jesus. Someone said preaching is truth through personality. And each of these four gospelers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, had different personalities. And as such, God prepared them, worked in their lives to express and uh, portray the person of Jesus in a unique way. And last time we talked about Matthew being the first uh, gospel in the New Testament. And the reason for that, they put Matthew first, even though it wasn't written first, was because he's the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament because he's obsessed with the delight that Jesus Christ is the absolute, full-on fulfillment of every Old Testament explanation, every Old Testament expectation from Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, all the way through the prophets. Jesus says in Matthew, the gospel, I didn't come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill it. I am the embodiment of the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And uh, all the promises of the Old Testament come to me. Paul says, you're Jesus, the promises to the seed, to Abraham and to his seed, who is Jesus, and everybody who is in Jesus. So every promise, every, every blessing, every good thing in the Old Testament from the beginning of time all the way to the last book in Malachi, Matthew is saying it's all, all about Jesus and everybody that is linked to Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ. So we are a people of promise. We are a people of uh, recipient. There's a target on our back saying blessing, all the blessings of God in the Bible, I'm hitting it. I'm hitting with this person because they're, they're connected to Jesus Christ. That's Matthew. There's a 4.0 surround sound with all these guys. We mentioned Matthew just now. We're going to talk about Mark being uh, his passion. Is Jesus the servant Messiah? And then we have Luke, whose passion is a full-on Pentecostal He's a full-on Pentecostal doctor. He's a Holy Ghost doctor and writes uh, very proficiently, very detailed. And we've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, whose call is to intimacy with Jesus. So we're going to talk about Mark today. We're going to turn the volume down a little bit on Matthew and Luke. and not going to turn it off because you don't get the full picture without all of them. But we're just highlighting and, and turning the others down so we can amplify Mark's message today, if that's okay with you. And if it isn't okay with you, I'm sorry, I just don't want to tell you. About <laughs> so the topic today is Jesus serves. Jesus serves is a passion of Mark, the gospeler. He's not writing, he is passionately proclaiming. And in passionately proclaiming, he's expressing the reality that the Bible is God preaching. The Bible is is very intensely enthusiastic and passionate. There's not a word in the Bible that is not important. It is a supernatural book. It's the only book in the history of the world where the author talks to you while you read it, 
And he's not just talking, he is engaging. He is not just wanting to give you some sort of some boring religious information. He is wanting to put his hands on your shoulder, look you right in the eye and say, this is God's word. This is my word. And it's alive to you in your moment in your everyday life. Jerry Cook, I've mentioned to you before, was asked, some, asked by someone, can, I really love prophetic words. Can you give me a word? I just want a word. I just live for words. And Jerry Cook said, yeah, I got a word for you. Ready? Oh, I'm so ready. I'm ready to hear a word. Here's the word I have from God. Read the Bible. <laughs> and I, I, you know, in our culture, we are totally into the prophetic because the Bible talks about the prophetic. But we also want to understand that the Bible's alive. The words I speak to you are spirit and life. <clears throat> so, I want us to just in some in sort of a summary of what's going on with Mark. The first part of Mark emphasizes some of the teaching of Jesus. The second part of Mark talks a lot about the serving works of Jesus. And the last half of Mark talks about the passion of Jesus and his crucifixion, which is an extension of the depth of his service to you and to me. I want to focus on the same passage in Mark, the same incident with Peter that we talked about with Matthew a couple weeks ago. It's the same Basically, same story, only Peter, um, in Mark's gospel, he doesn't, um, Mark doesn't emphasize or, or even refer to the fact that Jesus says, when, when Jesus asks the disciples, who do people say that I am? They say, some say Elijah. Some say Jeremiah. Some say one of the other prophets. And Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter, I know the answer. (laughs) You're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Matthew says, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And that promise is to all of his disciples. As we expose our minds and our hearts and our spirits and even our bodies is a holistic medicine that Jesus does, body, soul, and spirit, to the word of God, there's an electrifying healing. It's a therapy of heaven that flows into us, body, soul, and spirit. And God is revealing Jesus as the Christ to you in no less depth and in no less intensity than he revealed it to Peter on the day that this happened. But in Mark, Mark doesn't talk about that because he has a different emphasis. After Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, Mark just talks about Jesus Morphing the teaching into a clear exposition of the cross. One of three times that G- in Mark that Jesus says plainly, I'm going to serve the world by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. 
Now, with a lot of preaching, preachers say it, but people don't actually apply it all the time. <laughs> there wasn't the full application of it. They're a little thick skulled. But later, they got it more fully. Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter's revelation is, You're the Christ. But in Peter's mind, that means you're the military and political leader. You're the Donald Trump of the first century. (laughs) Little tongue-in-cheek there. Like cats, I'm not saying anything about any politician. But I'm saying that there is it in Mark... I forgot what I actually was saying. I was, so, I was so stirred by what I just said about Donald Trump. Huh? Yeah. Thanks, David. I was counting David to help. I thought he was a political and um, military leader. He got that revelation. And so what you have with Peter is... You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And all the other disciples are saying, dang it. How come I didn't raise my hand to say that? Because Jesus says, you know, gives him a compliment. And Peter's over here saying, clearly I'm a top disciple. (laughs) I got the revelation. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, depends on me to tell him stuff about him. Hello. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Hang around me. I may be osmosis. You might pick up some wisdom. Jesus starts talking about his suffering, and, Mar- and Peter says, I can fix this. Pulls him aside. I don't want to embarrass you in front of everybody else, but this isn't going to happen to you. Just like I got the revelation about you being the Christ, I got the revelation here too. So just listen up. Listen up, God. This is how it is. Not going to happen to you. I'm a prophet. I'm telling you how it is. Jesus looks at him, looks at the other disciples, He wanted the other disciples to hear it. He wanted to make sure they were in earshot. And he wants you and I to be in earshot. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have the things of God in mind, but the things of man. Now, you had the things of God in mind when you had the original revelation. And the Messiah, God revealed that to you. This is a lesson for us all. Just because we were in, have been in the spirit and got revelation and, and in a place of uh, a really good place, a momentum-building spiritual place where God is speaking to us and stirring us and walking with it, we do not continue in that place automatically. The basic inertia of humanity 
is to gravitate towards back to thinking the things of man instead of thinking the things of God. It takes conscientiousness. It takes intentionality. It takes fellowship. It takes prayer. It takes, shall I say it? Shall I say it to the American church? Dare I say it? I think not. Yeah, I'm going to say it. It takes self-discipline. It takes self-discipline to embrace the means of grace that God gives us to continue steadfastly in thinking about the things of God instead of the things of man. And this is not a thing of Sunday afternoons. This is things that are vital to our Christian life. How do I know? Because Jesus says that if we are operating from a mindset that is merely human, without reference to the things of God, without reference to aligning our thinking, our minds, our spirits with the word of God. When we take a vacation from God and go off just having a time of just doing our own thinking and sort of getting a high-energy affirmation or a high-energy adrenaline rush from being angry or upset or, or whatever it might be, Jesus Christ says that thinking things of man, that's what grieves me about the self-actualization movement, where we use Jesus to just affirm our own human potential. And human potential is our God. And we just use, we pick and choose some scriptures to affirm ourselves. When Jesus Christ looks at the disciples to make sure they're listening and to New Song Church to make their listening and to Christians down through the ages to make sure they're listening. And he turns to Peter and says, you're thinking the things of man, you get behind me, Satan. Would you agree with me that kind and gentle and good Jesus, to use that firm of language, you kind of get the impression that he means business. Just kind of get that impression, don't we? No, he's forgiving of us, absolutely, when we do momentarily backslide into, backslide into just human thinking. But he does not like it. <laughs> he's not mad at us. But he just doesn't really like it when we are inviting Satan into the experience by just... Christian humanism is satanic. Some of you are looking a little nervous. (laughs) I I hope you don't feel like I'm rebuking you for being Christian humanist because I think that God's... Who he who began a good work within you is continuing it until the day of Christ. This is good work is within you. But part of his good work is sort of the 
Would you agree with me that part of Jesus Christ's good work in Peter, who he used enormously and beautifully in the days to come, and throughout his whole life, but it did include a rebuke from time to time. Can you accept a rebuke from Jesus without thinking you're a washout failure and that you need to just give up on this whole thing because you just always get an F instead of an A+. Can you just get over yourself? Let Jesus be a 10 and be content to be a 5? Just hold, hit your trailer to the 10 and hope for the best. You're going to be okay. <laughs> but he wants us to think and to talk in a way that aligns ourselves with the beauties of his reality. I'm off on kind of a rabbit trail there, but it was a good one. Perhaps I should read the scripture to back up what I've been preaching about. (laughs) Now that we're 20 minutes into the talk, I should probably let you know what my first talking point is. In Mark's gospel, Jesus is clearly revealed as a very passionate servant Messiah. Mark 8, 27 to 33. Listen carefully. It's a lengthy reading. And I know you have a short attention span because of computers and microwaves. And some of you, some of you are even thinking about microwaving dinner afterwards. Just pay attention. I'm thinking of microwaving dinner afterwards. Here it is. Jesus and his disciples went out of the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road, he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men say that I am? So they answered, John the Baptist. Some say Elijah and others, one of the prophets. And he said to them, Okay, so who do you say that I am? Peter answered, said to him, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah. Then Jesus strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. Why? The word gets out that their definition of the Messiah, political, military leader, and he's going to have to correct everybody, thousands and thousands of people, It's going to take the whole movement a different direction. He wants first the disciples to get what it means that he's the Messiah before they start talking about it. Then he strictly warned them that they should not tell, they should tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's a key phrase here, so I'm coming back to it. The Son of Man must suffer many things. Can it be more clear than this? And be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. One of three times in Mark where he clearly says what's going to happen. He spoke this word openly to them. Then that's when Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but you are mindful of the things of men. So Peter's big mistake got rejected. Don't be, don't be discouraged if you get the correction of God on something. Don't be discouraged. He's not mad at you. It's for your good, it's for my good to improve our display. To improve our display to improve our display of supernatural resurrection of Jesus' life through our life. 
Son of Man theology has different layers. Quickly, three layers. One, Jesus is the Son of God. He's also the Son of Man. He's fully divine. He's fully human. Second, Son of Man layer. Daniel 7 informed the expectation of the Messiah in the first century Jewish world. Here's just part of it. I was watching in the night visions. What? About six centuries before Christ. Daniel, I was watching in the night visions. And behold, look at the Look at it. I saw one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. So the Son of Man expectation is in the Messianic expectation was one of the Son of Man coming in his glory before the Ancient of Days, his Father, and bringing redemption and deliverance to Israel from Rome. But that there's an apocalyptic dimension to it too, that all nations are going to worship him. All nations are going to serve him. But notice that the emphasis is on serving him. All nations and language should serve him. Jesus Christ turns that on his head. He's not saying don't serve him, but he's saying that there's a more important feature to all this serving business. He says, you guys, you guys have one more layer of the messianic expectation to embrace, and that is that I am going to serve you. And Mark's gospel repeatedly refers to Jesus Christ serving the people through his teaching, first part of Mark. Second part of Mark, serving people through his action. Third part of Mark, taking that action all the way to serving them through his willingness to die on the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What was that joy? Heaven? I don't think so. The joy that was set before him was your redemption. He is absolutely thrilled to serve you who deserve eternal loss. To serve you who know you don't live up to your own standards for yourself. To serve you who would be so shamed if we put your sins up on the projection today. And I would too. That Jesus Christ comes on the scene and says, I know the depth of your hypocrisy, your rebellion, rebelliousness, and not only your sins, but your sin. Your internal bent towards yourself. I know it, and I'm going to serve you by shedding my blood for you and redeeming you so that you will hereafter not be sinners, but full-on saints, righteousified by the blood of the Lamb. 
And I'm never going to take that away from you. There will never be a point in time from the moment you receive Christ into eternity future where you won't be referred to by Jesus as Saint Dan or Saint Mal or Saint Paula or Saint Jim or David or Dave or Bonnie, Lorena, Nick, Carrie. Wow, that doesn't humble us. If that doesn't humble us, I don't know what to say. Isaiah 53 is included in what it means to be the son of man. By his knowledge, my righteous servant, eight centuries before Christ came, Isaiah prophesied the suffering servant. By his knowledge, my righteous what? My righteous servant shall righteousify many. Shall justify many. Septuagint means righteousify. Greek translation. For he shall bear their iniquities. Are you glad Jesus is bearing for your iniquities? I hope you are. This is a big gift to you. Because he poured out his soul to, to the point of death. Boy. Have you ever poured out your soul about something? You ever poured out your soul in prayer? You ever poured out your soul where you just said all you could say in prayer and you just don't know what else to say? You speak in tongues for a while, that helps. But you just pour out your soul. And Jesus in his intercessory role on the cross, pours out his soul in death for the joy that was set before him, which is you and which is me. I don't know. I'm going to talk about some more of this some other time. Let's stand up. I want to, if you guys have been so good about inviting people to church, I'd be negligent not to, not to give everyone an opportunity to start a life journey with Jesus. I'm not going to call you forward. I have so much confidence that Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. If you don't know him yet, I'm not asking you to join our church or change political parties. I'm not asking you to do anything except I'm not asking you to sign up for any class. I'm just asking you to get started with the person that's chasing you. I'm just asking you, will you put your hand in the hand of Jesus and say, you know what? I don't know what this might mean, but I know your promises. You're going to lead me to green pastures and still waters and restore my soul. That you'll lead me in the paths of righteousness. You prepare a table before me so that I can have this amazing feast right in the presence of every emotional enemy that's trying to pull me down. 
I just know, Jesus, that because of you, goodness and mercy are always chasing me. When I can look back over my life and see redemption, not victimization, I can look back over my life and see you at work turning everything bad because of your miraculous power and the counsel of your own will not sending the bad thing but being so gracious to me Jesus that you're turning it into something beautiful and something good something that will last forever something precious something that's gold something that's silver something that's lovely something that makes my heart warm I want that for you. But more importantly, Jesus wants it for you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I will misunderstand if you look up for any reason and I know your short attention span and it's really tough to close your eyes for two minutes. Please do that. Only look up at me if you are... I'm not going to call you forward. Only look up to me if you're saying I'm responding to the knock. And I'm getting started with Jesus. Just catch my eye. I'm looking to my right. Looking to my middle right. Catch my eye if you are saying yes to his yes to you. Raise your hand if I'm missing you. My, my left in the middle section. Anybody? Catching my eye. Yes. One person there. Anybody else? Wave at me if I miss you. Looking to my far left. Yes. Another person on my left. Anybody else on my far left? These two people, Jesus, today. You're going to make it simple. Make it easy for them. Let's all say this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus. I call upon you to save me. Come into my heart. I believe you raised from the dead. I confess you as my Lord. Amen. You two people that opened your eyes and looked at me, your job is to confess him before people. That is, you, before we leave this building, you tell somebody that you asked Jesus in your heart today do that humble thing we're not signing you up for a religious program we're signing you up to a person he is your shepherd and he my friends is a good shepherd very good shepherd we have a team that will be up front to minister body soul and spirit to anyone who has a need take advantage of that he's the same yesterday today and forever We will say goodbye to you. Have a great week. Go enjoy because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is serving you and he's equipping you to let him serve others through you. You have a great week coming your way. Thanks for being with us today.